episode 6 of the Plant Powered Radio podcast series. I'm your host, Janine Bancroft, grateful to be living and working on the unceded traditional lands of the Lekwungen peoples. Also, thanks to Todd McHatton for the intro music. On today's show, Edith Barabash and the transformation of an Ontario cattle ranch into an animal sanctuary rescue. The Farmhouse Garden Animal Home is located in Uxbridge, Ontario, which is not far from Toronto. For many generations, I think it was a cattle ranch, but in 2016, the multi-generational organic farmer and cattle rancher, Mike Lanigan, had a change of heart, and he decided he no longer wanted to see the cows sent to slaughter. So he invited his employee, Edith Barabash, to help convert the cattle ranch into a sanctuary, a safe haven where the animals can live safely and happily until the natural end of their lives. And I recently had the privilege and joy of watching the cows heading out happily to their summer pasture, which was really awesome. And uh, Edith has agreed to be with us here today to tell us more about the farmhouse garden animal home. And thank you for taking that time today, Edith. I know it's busy on farms. Thank you for having me. This is great. Um, absolutely. And and so you were working for Mike when the farm was set up. It was originally a cattle ranch. You weren't there for all those generations, obviously, but you went to work with, with him and you were vegan. And I understand he had some pigs and chickens in addition to the cows. And so, you know, I'm thinking personally that that would be kind of a difficult thing, caring for animals and then sending them off to their death. Um, but it sounds like you played a pretty significant role in encouraging calmly and quietly over time, encouraging Mike's national, natural um, compassion for the animals to evolve in him. And, and then eventually he came to this uh, change of heart. So where, where do we start to understand this process? And so let's starting with you at uh, coming to the farm, you know, how, how did you become vegan? Did you, were you vegan when you went to the farm or did the animals inspire you to become vegan? Um, so I was originally vegan more for health reasons and that started from a pretty young age. Um, I think I was uh, maybe like 14 or so when I first started dabbling in veganism because my mom was a vegetarian and uh, it was always like instilled in me that it's better for you, it's healthier. Um, so I wasn't at all exposed to the ethical side of it at that age. And then I started working for Mike at his farmer's market, which is near where I live, um, and then decided to start interning at his farm the following summer. And that's when I started really connecting with the animals there and learning about what animals are like and how sweet and wonderful they can actually be. And it's really that experience that led me towards ethical veganism. Um, so uh, it was pretty difficult after making that connection and becoming an ethical vegan to um, continue to stay there and continue working with these animals, knowing that they're going to be sent to slaughter. But essentially the, the reason that I started working at his farm was so I could learn to grow organic fruits and vegetables. Um, I, I wanted to have that knowledge. I wanted to work with the land a little more. So I knew that's kind of what I was there for. And um, having been so young and um, I mean, maybe this is a good thing that I wasn't able to kind of speak up with that kind of conviction just yet. Um, I started just kind of quietly thinking to myself that, oh, like maybe this isn't the best way to do things. I started slowly sharing my ideas with Mike, um, just kind of gently and quietly because I still was formulating my own opinions on the matter. Um, 
And then, yeah, after, after a few years, he started to see that as well. And, and it all really did work out great. Um, but, but there were a lot of difficult moments too. There were times when I had to accompany Mike to the slaughterhouse, um, which was incredibly difficult for me. Um, and, 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 but it's moments like that, that really strengthened my resolve to help animals and help me become an ethical vegan. So yeah, I think it, it worked both ways. I helped him and he helped me. So yeah. It's definitely a journey, right? The, the being, becoming vegan and just the growing awareness. And then right now, you know, I know there's a lot going on in the U S and we're hearing a lot about what's happening on the streets. Um, which I, I personally feel that the violence that humans inflict on other humans is somehow connected to the violence that we accept with regard to what happens to animals and the, and the violence that people ingest every day. And I did that for the first 29 years of my life too. So I, you know, I get that, but so that, that aside, I mean, if you, you're welcome to comment on that, it's, sort of an instinct that I'm having. It's very emotional time, right? And then at the same time, I was watching that last night and I was also watching a live uh, situation with DXE at an Iowa um, farm where they were basically burning the pigs alive, right? And this, they were try, people were chaining themselves to the fence to try to stop this from happening. And of course, you know, that one guy had already been arrested for trying to expose what was happening when they were... Um, in another instance, um, apparently the pigs, because they can't sell them, and I guess if you can't make money off of them, they don't want to send them to sanctuary. I don't know. So they actually shut all the windows and uh, stopped the circulation and just turned up the heat, and basically these guys, you know, just died by suffocation. So there's these horrible, horrible things going on. I think um, slaughterhouses are horrible places anytime. Um, what? What? So so. You know, for people who think that, oh, well, it's okay because I'm, I'm having an f- animal from a happy farm. Like, it sounds like Mike's was a happy farm, right? I, and, but still, they all go to the same slaughter. And what, what did you see at the slaughterhouse that really impacted you? Yeah, I think maybe before I get into that, I do want to quickly comment on what's happening now in the world and, and the Black Lives Matter, Matter movement and how it's so important for us as vegans to be intersectional in our activism and to recognize that all forms of oppression are so interconnected. Um, and, and it can't just be about one group. It has to be about deconstructing all hierarchies and all of these forms of oppression. Um, so I think that's really important to highlight. So, so thanks for doing that. Um, and yeah, the whole idea of, of happy animals going to slaughter, I mean, to me, it, having been to these humane slaughterhouses, the exact same thing happens to an animal, whether or not they were raised on beautiful green pastures or inside of a factory farm, um, they end up in the same horrifying place and it's the same horrifying death. Um, and I, I think like we as vegans know that these these are just buzzwords to make ourselves feel better about what we're doing. Um, but in reality, there is no humane way to kill somebody. This is how it is. Yeah. Um, and much more fun to enjoy them uh, in, while they're alive. And, um, you know, I, I just another follow up there with uh, totally in solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement. And, and, I've, and the intersectionality, I think that's really important for us to, to 
to work together alongside each other because these struggles are, uh, as you say, they're all connected. And I heard someone say recently, which I thought was really cool. She said, you know, veganism isn't the solution to everything in the world, but which I don't know, I kind of think maybe it is, but she said, veganism isn't necessarily the solution to everything in the world, but no solution is complete without it. So I, th I think that's really well put. I think that's right? really Yeah. Like Absolutely. if we're struggling for the justice for humans, we, we also need to think about, I think, the, the what's going on with the animals. So yeah, which as long as, sorry, as, as long as there's one group of individuals who thinks they have some kind of power or authority over another uh, to, to decide who lives and who dies or who suffers, um, that's the root of all of our problems, I think. Right. And so you were, you were on the farm when, when um, they were breeding? um the because they are brought into existence for the purpose of being killed right yeah uh, well the, um it, it was kind of a mix like what mike would do is is keep certain animals of uh, with preferred genetics to let them breed naturally and sometimes it's it's something and and this is so it was so odd to me at the time thinking that this was happening but uh like he'd bring in somebody with a literal catalog of like bull genetics and breed one of the uh, one of the cows um so yeah no it's it's weird and yeah that's how they were breeding them and then they're and then when they're born they're given basically a date of death as well yeah yeah because there's a kind of like a maximum amount of time that they can be there where it's efficient to raise them because it costs so much money to raise these animals as i know know so well um but i mean obviously there's so much more than a dollar amount now um but after they reach past the age of two or so it's just no longer efficient from a financial perspective to keep feeding them if you're not going to also benefit financially from them so that's kind of that's the date that they're given when they're born unfortunately and so when people say you know well what will we do with all the animals if everybody goes vegan what will we do with the animals well that's the solution we just, just don't, don't breed them into existence it's right. as simple as that yeah and and obviously no one's gonna the world's not gonna go vegan overnight slowly the supply uh, or the demand for meat is going to dwindle and as that happens less and less animals are going to be bred into existence um so so slowly this this kind of made up problem is going to fix itself, right? Well, I got to hope, don't we? Yeah. And you said something interesting. You said that it costs a lot of money and you implied that there are other costs involved with bringing animals into existence. Did you mean like the climate costs? Or? Oh, that, well, of course that too. But I mean, like as a farmer, you're thinking the, these animals are essentially a product for you to sell, right? So you're thinking, um, this is how much it's going to cost me to raise them in terms of feed, uh, shelter, all of that, versus how much money is going to be brought in at the end. And yeah, it's a messed up way of thinking about a living being, but that's how it's calculated as a farmer, right? Um, but of course, there's like the climate cost and, and a whole, uh, like the health cost, there's a whole bunch of other things to factor in, but I don't really think farmers are thinking about that. Um, there hasn't been the awareness of that. I think that awareness is growing too. Okay, so let's talk about how to transition because, um, you know, I think this is a really great time for farmers to think about that because things are changing. People are reaching for the other forms of milk and uh, lots of people are going vegan. So, 
you were involved in the process of transitioning this farm. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, um, transitioning from from a cattle ranch to a sanctuary. It's I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's not an easy process. There's especially if you're in the middle of like a farming community with so many um, other individuals who are against what you're doing. Um, it, it, it is difficult. There's a lot of pressures. There's also a lot of financial pressure. I think it's really awesome to give farmers a way to transition their business rather than, for example, converting to sanctuary. I'm very thankful that we're doing it. I think it's amazing. I don't think it's a viable solution for everybody because you're so dependent on fundraising. And I mean, Mike was lucky enough to have me and another team of people around, but other farmers aren't going to have a team of vegans who are ready to, you know, fundraise for them. Um, but I think it would be amazing to give farmers a way to transition from raising, uh, raising animals to growing vegetables. Um, and, and there's amazing groups that are already doing that. There is uh, Renee King Sonnen in the United States, in, in Texas, I believe, um, Rowdy Girl Sanctuary, and they're helping farmers transition uh, to growing crops. There's a group called Farm Transformers, I believe, who I talked to a few years back, and they're also doing great work with helping farmers transition. So the resources are becoming more readily available for farmers who are willing. It's just about getting them to open their minds and realizing that there is another way, and, and they can still make money. They can still be on the land and, and do what they're passionate about, minus, you know, slaughtering animals. Right. And, and uh, so Farm Transformers, that's cool. And Mercy for Animals, I think, also has a transition program going on. Cool. That's yeah. Awesome. So this is something maybe that vegans could organize uh, is some kind of uh, teamwork, uh, connecting with farmers right now who, are, you know, there's no way to get their product to market because of the COVID in the slaughterhouses. So now, you know, and they've got some money from the government still. So if vegans were to organize and say, look, we're going to help you, we're going to do this legwork that, you know, figure out how we can help you fundraise for this. So are mostly, uh, you guys are running on um, donations now then? So Mike has transitioned the majority of his business. So he was growing crops before as well, but now he supplements the income that he would have made on selling animals with growing more crops. Um, and that side of his business is completely separate from the animal rescue, which uh, we fund from public donations, from selling merchandise, having events like letting out the cows. Um, so, so Mar Mike is still, he still has that livelihood. Like he's still working the land. He's still growing vegetables. Um, and, and we're lucky enough to still have the animals here. So it, it's a real win-win, but the two are kept separate. I see. And so what kind of crops is, are you guys growing? Basically any, any vegetable that will grow in, in Canada is grown on this little amazing mixed farm. Um, there's, there's retro root crops, um, carrots, beets, potatoes, um, there's kale, lettuces, all the leafy greens, um, and they're all sold at the village market in Thornhill. That's 9100 Bathurst Street every single Saturday. Um, so Mike's been there for like almost 30 years, I think, selling at this farmer's market. Um, and it's all organic um, and, and it's all cruelty free.
And, um, and through the winter, are there crops that you can grow through the winter? So we store a lot of our root crops through the winter. So, um, yeah, like a lot of the beets, potatoes, carrots, parsnips, all that kind of stuff is still going to be Mike's, but he also imports organic produce in the winter so that people who want organic, like leafy greens and stuff that won't grow in Canada, um, can still get it from the farmer's market all year round. Cool. Okay. And there's other places, you know, I know restaurants buy, um, like to buy or local organic produce. So I'm thinking of all these other farmers, you know, um, I think the alternative meat, uh, industry or meat, alternative milk industry. I mean, you know, um, oat milk is huge in Canada right now. Like, I think there's a lot of potential there. Yeah. 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 I think as, as a farmer who's just kind of struggling to make ends meet the, the last, thing on your mind is or the last thing you want on your mind is how am I going to transition my entire business all I know how to do into something else so I do think it is up to us also to step up and help them Um, otherwise the change isn't isn't going to happen or it is but very rarely just because it's it's already difficult enough to be a farmer in Canada so yeah and I was listening to Mike's um, story when you guys were interviewed on um, Animal Voices from Vancouver Co-op Radio in 2016, and I'll post the link to that because that was really interesting too. And it sounded like, you know, he had this, this love of the animals, and I think all farmers have that, and somehow they have to kind of harden themselves. Uh, they have to create a screen between themselves and the, farm and the animals in order to send them to slaughter. But Mike somehow pulled that shield, pulled that veil away. Do you think that's true of other farmers? Do you think deep down they might rather be not doing that? It's, it's hard to say. I would like to, I'm the kind of person that always tries to see the best in other people. I would like to say yes. I, I've, because I'm at the farmer's market, I've talked to so many farmers who seem like such amazing, compassionate people. And it's beyond me why they have that kind of divide or that switch in mind, like Mike says, that they could just turn off. Um, so I, I would like to think that if they realized it, if they knew that there was another way that they would take it, um, but it, it's, it's hard for me as somebody who was born in the suburbs, like I wasn't born into a farming family. Uh, I, I don't know what it's like to have that so deeply ingrained in me. So for me, perhaps it was easier to make that switch. It seems like a no brainer for me. Um, but I, yeah, I don't know what it's like as a farmer who just was, was raised believing this so deeply. Right. So approaching them you know, we need to respect that um, there's a long tradition there and there's a lot of memories. I think I know I have a friend from Saskatchewan or a workmate from Saskatchewan who um, grew up on a farm and, and, and like a big farm and, and all the families owned farms and they would all get together every year for the annual chicken slaughter. And this was a huge event and he got to see all his cousins and it was, it's in in his mind, it's this great family get together. Yeah, they did this horrible thing, right? But so when we approach farmers as vegans, we just, I think, need to understand that this goes deep. But if we can gently, as you did, maybe hand a flyer or something and say, hey, if you think about this, give me a call or so, do you think they'd be open to something like that? Maybe. I mean, 
I, I don't think there's ever any one right approach to mm -hmm. activism. Everybody's going to react to things differently. And the way that I do activism happened to resonate with Mike. And that was a very lucky coincidence, I think. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think a lot of people are doing amazing work and whether it's a leaflet or whether it's being, you know, like more, you know, being uh, stronger and louder with your activism. We don't know what's going to work, but I do think it's important to be mindful of the fact that people are raised in different ways and the things that are a no-brainer to me are not going to be necessarily be the same for other people. So right. just something to be mindful of. Right. And you're right. Different people react in different ways. Like some people want a, a strong, you know, and other people back away from that. So it's really a tricky game. And I, I would love for the government to get involved and, and offers a program for just transition, right, to help farmers. But until then, I think that's something that we could do. So just like farmers have different personalities, the animals have different personalities, right? And so yeah. tell us some about some of the creatures on your farm there. We've got some characters on the farm. There are some cows that are so sweet and so gentle. I don't know if you um, have read about Hope. That was the calf that Mike was working with when he first kind of made that switch and realized that he doesn't want to send her to slaughter. Um, and she's this like tiny little thing. She's still so small because she was born prematurely and she's never going to be as big and strong as the other cows. Um, but she's just the the sweetest little girl um we have a calf named gourd who's really sweet and then on the other hand we have um a cow named coco who is like super strong strong-willed and and a little more aggressive um we have some really silly cows we have one named einstein who's who's just like so silly and will as soon as she sees people, she just comes up and starts like licking you and asking for food. Um, and of course, we have our our uh, famous diva buckwheat, the donkey, um, who's doing Zoom calls. Right. People now. Um, yeah. Tell us about that. How? What's going on with that? It's awesome. Um, it's it's a really great way, I think, to not only have a lot of fun with buckwheat, which is, um, we chose her to do this because she loves social interaction. She loves when the volunteers with her and petting her and feeding her. Um, and we knew that she would, I mean, obviously she's free to walk away during the meeting if she wants, um, but she always just wants to hang around and she's really <laughs> curious. Um, and it's also a really great way to educate other people. We, we are in this unique position where we're now talking to hundreds of people every week who would otherwise never be exposed to an animal rights message. And we're telling them about our story and about how all of our cows were saved from slaughter. And I mean, yeah, we had calls with people who, well, companies that we never thought would be interested in an animal rescue. Um, and I think we were able to like plant some compassionate seeds in their minds. It was really cool. Wonderful. So, so like just a regular office type meeting might yeah. say, hey, just for fun, let's invite this donkey into our Zoom. That's how that goes? That's, that's literally how the, well, some of them are just families getting together. We had like a girls night Zoom. It was super cute. Um, but the majority of them are like these serious corporate meetings. And then they'll take like a 10 minute break to just hang out with Buckwheat and hear about our story. And then they'll go right back into their serious corporate meeting. Oh, um, and we, like, we were really surprised at, like, 
the, the companies that reached out to us were like, you're interested in a meeting with an animal rescue? It was very cool. Okay, so whose idea was this? This is brilliant. It was actually one of our board members, Tim, Tim Fors, um, and, and we were kind of brainstorming how to bring like a, these virtual experiences to people who still want to interact with their with the animals at the sanctuary. Um, so at first we, and we're still doing this, we're doing like live events, uh, like Facebook live events virtually. Um, but yeah, Tim had this, this awesome idea of, uh, we call it like being a meeting crasher. Um, and Buckwheat was like the perfect candidate because we knew that she would absolutely love it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That is so great. And so Buckwheat, and then there's a horse as well. And they were also, they've been on the farm a long time, I guess. Eh? Yeah, they've been on the farm since before the transition to the sanctuary. A lot of the animals were there from before. Um, there are some new animals. We have um, uh, some really sweet little hens that we just rescued. We just rescued a rooster who's quite he's quite the character he's a bit of an aggressive rooster and we're trying to figure out a way to like calm him down a little bit but I mean the the personalities on the farm are so varied there's just never a dull moment and you have to know how to interact with each individual animal right like you know which one likes ear rubs which one likes parsnips versus carrots like uh, everyone has their own likes and dislikes uh, and things that make them frustrated so yeah it's just it's really interesting. You really have to know them. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, anybody who's grown up with dogs or cats knows that they're, they all are different. Yeah. You know, it's quite remarkable. Uh, when I was young, I lived um, in a place where I got to go um, to a riding stable. I got to volunteer. I loved horses. I got to volunteer there and brush the horses and stuff. And there was a rooster who was quite cantankerous. And they had a goat. They had a goat. And the rooster and the goat became really good buddies. Oh, and, <laughs> and that helped calm the rooster down. So I don't know if... I love that. Solution. That's a yeah. good idea. I guess we'll... Yeah, we'll see if he interacts well with any of the other animals. We're, we're a little scared to... Um, introduce him to any of the other animals just in case like we don't want anyone getting hurt so we have to do it very slowly and carefully right um, but yeah like he the rooster didn't get along we have two ducks they're they're a couple um and they're really sweet they're always together they're just Aww. the cutest little pair um but the the male duck lucky did not get along with the rooster so we had to quickly separate them and since then we're very very careful about who he interacts with until we know that he's a little more tamed right. um, yeah but it's you know part of sanctuary life is is making sure that every animal's needs are met and that they're safe sometimes from each other too right so. yeah well and a rooster has a big job I mean that's a you know birds are, are very um, they're you know they're preyed on from all angles it just so it must be a really strong instinct for a rooster to have to protect all these ladies right yeah yeah yeah, sure. and and he, you know, there's not a lot of roosters because of the the way that eggs are produced. Well, how do you feel about backyard chickens? I I think we see firsthand how problematic they are because the majority of the hens that we've rescued are from backyard farms. Um, many of many times, um, they're this kind of novelty of like, oh, look at these cute little chickens. Like, we'll work for a bit, and then once they start producing less eggs, um, or once they've been replaced with with younger hens, um, a lot of 
people who raise them will will just give them off to a farmer who will then slaughter them right so um we see firsthand like how problematic that is and how at the end of the day these animals still are viewed as commodities at least in the majority of cases i obviously can't speak to all of them um but there's also the fact that a lot of backyard hens are still bred into existence rather than being rescued um so again there's so many i think chickens especially there are so many of them that need a good home and to breed more is is very irresponsible um so there's i guess like there's many layers to this uh and there's many reasons why i think it's not the most ethical thing um and yeah i think whenever whenever people are want to get eggs that are more like humane or ethical um first of all i recognize that that comes from a place where they want to be more compassionate to animals and on one hand that's a good thing but i also always urge them to ask deeper questions and ask you know once the you know like always ask when you're getting eggs like where where are these hens going to go after they stop laying or stop being as productive um or where do the hens come from are they rescues or are they brought into existence um so yeah always ask questions and and realize that like humane washing is a thing um and these buzzwords of like backyard free range are are essentially just meant to make us feel better about things that we're doing Mm. Yeah, and the thing with chickens too is as the hens are bred into existence, of course they can't just select hens being bred into existence. So there's a lot of roosters that are born and nobody wants them and they get like ground up alive from what I've understand. Yeah, no, it's it's a horrifying industry from all angles. yeah i mean we have to keep educating people um encourage them to ask questions and and really see where their food comes from right yeah um i have a friend um down the road who rescued some hens um they were no longer egg laying and she didn't want them for that purpose she just wanted to rescue some hens and so that was really cool they were so much fun she had they but they cleared out her backyard man it's amazing how they can just clear a whole area Right. If you want your backyard cleared out, get some, yeah, they'll do. <laughs> right. Rescue some old hens, and she just let them live until they died, and, and that was really nice. Yeah, she got a few eggs out out of it along the way, and you know that was fine. But that wasn't her purpose, so I really respect that. Um, yeah. So, is that the idea there then that the cattle will kind of die a natural death, and then will Mike and the farm continue to uh, rescue uh, become a sanctuary? It'll stay as a sanctuary. Um, it's hard to say at the moment whether we'll take more large animals in in the near future because we're so limited in terms of space and funds. Um, but but the hope is definitely that that in the future we'll be able to rescue more animals. Um, right now we're focusing on only smaller animals. Um, again, because of the the space and the monetary constraints. Um, but of course, like all the animals at the sanctuary are, are going to live long, happy lives there. We know that. Right. Yeah. And so is that kind of, uh, you, you're mostly involved with the animals then rather than the, the veggies or are you doing a little of both? I'm doing a mix of both. So I still um, sell Mike's vegetables at the farmer's market on the weekends as like a little part-time job while I'm in school. Um, and, and I'm also of course like very in, much more involved in the sanctuary work um, doing a lot of the administrative 
um, tasks and also caring for the animals. But we have a lot of amazing volunteers, obviously, that do a lot of the heavy lifting. Okay, I think a lot of sanctuaries are like that, where people come and clean out the barns and do all that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we have volunteers coming out very regularly. We, we couldn't do this without them. They're amazing. We have a great team. Yeah, it'd be fun. I, I, you know, I don't have a vehicle or I would, I would probably do that too, right? Yeah, but, yeah, it's hard to access without a vehicle. <laughs> yeah, we have a couple of sanctuaries on Vancouver Island here and I know people regularly go and, you know, of course in the winter you need uh, people committed. I've heard that sometimes it's difficult for sanctuaries because people will come and they think it's going to be fun and then they don't realize how much hard work it is and so you kind of you want people who are serious about it right yeah yeah and we're lucky to have quite a few of those really dedicated ones but but unfortunately yeah it does happen where people get excited in the summer to like come uh you know a couple times a month and enjoy the time with the animals but then aren't necessarily willing to be there when it's like negative 20 degrees in the winter and you're freezing your butt off and you have to take care of the animals but the animals still need us, rain or shine, like cold or hot, you know, they need us to be there. So, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you, you mentioned that you're at school. What are you studying? I'm in law school now. Oh. Um, yeah. Going into my final year. Wow. And yeah. are you going to practice animal rights law? Yeah, I, I hope to incorporate, I, I really love animal rights law and environmental law, hopefully to incorporate those together somehow. Um, yeah, still fi figuring it out. <laughs> Good for but, you. Yeah, no, that, that's what I definitely hope to do. That's awesome. And it's wonderful that you, you hopefully will be able to maintain some connection with the farm. Because you've been there how long now? Oh, my gosh. Uh, like, uh, maybe seven, eight years now. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah, and it, it was, you know, my first part-time job ever was coming to Mike with my resume. Like... Until he hired me. Yeah, no. What a great background to bring to animal rights law as well, because you know you've lived with the animals and you understand the, what what they might want to say if if they had an opportunity. Yeah, I think I'm really lucky to be in this unique position, having interacted with animals so much, and also um, just having. I, I feel like Mike and I have been able to kind of bridge the farming community and the animal rights community and and our, our our sanctuary is almost kind of like a space for everybody to come and share ideas and be respectful um and yeah it's a very very privileged position that we're in to to be able to see both sides of so many stories Mm, yeah, it's it's really important to build those bridges. Absolutely. And um, you mentioned that you're doing administrative work. So when we talk about, uh, you know, finances, which, you know, whether we like it or not, it does drive a lot of our decision making. So, you know, currently through through COVID, I, the federal government is doing a pretty good job, I think, of trying to take care of people so that we end up not uh, having riots in the streets. Um, which you know I, I appreciate is primarily uh, the situation with um, with George Floyd, but is also uh, I think a result of three months of people being told you can't go to work, uh, but we're not going to do anything to help you either. Basically, whereas in Canada we've been really lucky, I think, to have 
a fair amount of support. And I also just want to mention, I think personally that's because we have a minority government. A lot of people don't like to vote minority governments, but because uh, the liberals have to listen to the NDP and the Green Party and the Bloc, you know, we're seeing what we're seeing. I think that's the consequence of that. So what kind of subsidies are you, you guys getting, if I could ask? And you know, do you think if you, you know, do you think this is an opportunity? Like, could a farmer, if they had the, some assistance, could they take that money and transition at this time? Yeah, um, unfortunately, like, we're, we're not receiving any assistance for the sanctuary work that we're doing at the moment. And that is probably primarily because we're a registered nonprofit, but not a registered charity at the moment. Um, so we're not eligible for a lot of assistance oh. um, that other ch that charities might be eligible for. Hmm. Um, uh, I think we, like we are eligible for um, various loans, um, hmm. but but in terms of of other financial assistance, we aren't getting that. Um, but we do have to just keep going and and continue our fundraising and be creative with the way that we're doing it. Um, but I definitely think for small businesses right now, there is a lot of support um, in terms of like hiring people um, and getting loans. And maybe it is a, a good time for farmers to start thinking about other ways of, of sourcing their revenue that isn't based on, uh, on raising animals and slaughtering them. Hmm. Um, but I don't know if I'm necessarily the best person to speak to that. Right. Well, that's interesting what you said, though, because if so, if you were set up as a business and you had a business license and you were functioning on a for profit basis, mm -hmm. you would be eligible for some funding, it sounds like. But uh, and if you were a charity, a registered charity, you would be eligible for some funding. But you're sort of in that gray area in the middle where you're not not for profit, but without that additional charitable status. So there's no funding. That's interesting. I did not no, know. There's no, no, not, not that I'm aware of, at least. And mm. I've looked quite a bit. But So are you guys planning on applying for charitable status? Um, at the moment, we've made a bit of a conscious decision to remain a, 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 only a nonprofit because once you become a registered charity, there's a lot of added work um, every year. There's a lot more... Um, a lot more administrative work that you have to go through and we aren't necessarily in uh, a financial position or in a position in terms of the number of volunteers and people we have doing administrative work to do that kind of stuff. Um, right now it is primarily me and our, our uh, other board member, Tim, who are doing all the administrative tasks and to have that added layer would just, we wouldn't even know where to start. Um, and it also requires quite a bit of an upfront cost to become a registered charity. Um, and we aren't able to delve into that at the moment, but I really do hope that it is in our future eventually. Um, but right now we're just trying to kind of stay afloat where we are. Right, right. Well, that's interesting too, because it's a bit of a catch 22 then, because once you're a charity, people will donate to charities more readily because they get the tax break. Whereas you don't get a tax break if you give money to a nonprofit, it's just a gift, basically. And yet they make you do all this extra work. Oh, government, I don't understand. We need to streamline some of this stuff, right? And uh, definitely, I th there's because so there's because there's funding for farmers, I think, specifically because they're set up as businesses. Then, um, 
I, I think I it guess. depends on the kind of farmer. Like, I don't think Mike is getting very much assistance for the work that he's doing as a farmer either. Um, I think there, there was some money that he could have gotten in order to hire some students, for example, but all of that funding is already gone and has been, has been given to other, other businesses. Um, so there's only so much to go around to. Um, yeah, it's, all right. it's a bit complicated. Okay. So buckwheat the donkey, I think that's a great way to get some extra funding and then um i really enjoyed the online um opportunity we got to watch we got to buy a basket of food and watch you guys feed uh, the vegetables we feel like beets and the, i mean I, i've never seen cows eat beets before like <laughs> they cows will eat almost anything um a mix of we had a lot of we, we were very lucky to get a donation from mike and mike's organics they're a big uh organic produce company um and they gave us the most beautiful uh, boxes of apples and carrots and kale. Um, so the cows were like having the time of their life, uh, lives. Um, yeah, no, they, they really enjoyed it. And, and it's really thanks to people like you who bought these boxes and who donated to us and, and helped us out that we're able to kind of get through this, this bit of a rough patch. Um, and of course, people who, who order a session with buckwheat, that helps a lot. Um, so we're trying to get a little more creative with the way that we're fundraising. Um, and, and so far it's been working. Like we're, we're doing pretty well, all things considered. And yes, thanks to our supporters at home. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of uh, support for, you know, fundraising for sanctuaries goes on a lot around here too. You know, they, there used to be regular dinners and events and, silent auctions and of course that's all kind of faded away i think some of the sanctuaries now are doing virtual tours have you thought about doing that yeah um right now we're we're very lucky to have been completely inundated with calls for buckwheat um so the vast majority of our time right now is scheduling and and doing these calls um which is like a really good situation to be in as time consuming and difficult as it is um but we do hope to also incorporate live tours and also continue doing these virtual visiting days that we've done we, so we've had the one where we let the cows out and then we had one before that where we gave um we basically gave a tour of the sanctuary and also hung out with the animals and that was really successful too um i think a big part of what we do is well to me it's really important to keep these accessible so um, having the tours or at least our monthly tours be free for people to just tune in and watch and and listen to is really important for me personally because a big part of what we do is education um, and I don't necessarily want there to be a financial barrier for anybody who wants to learn about what we do so we try to do a mix of both we have uh, these free tours and of course we love it when people are able to financially support us because that helps us so much even during these tours um but yeah our meetings with buck we are really have really been carrying the sanctuary these past few months it's i just love awesome. that and so buckwheat does not get tired of this she she just loves being at the screen i mean she's not really doing anything <laughs> she's doing the exact same thing that she would normally on an average day just hanging out with with melody her horse friend who's in the paddock she's eating she's kind of like walking or, or running around her paddock um nothing has changed for her in terms of her daily routine um it's just that we're we're there 
videotaping it and, and feeding her and giving her extra love and pets. And, oh, um, great. Yeah. yeah she's, she's, oh, she's loving it. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. So where can people go uh, if they want to support the work that you're doing, Edith? So our website is www.farmhousegardenanimalhome.com. Um, and they can donate there. They can become a monthly sponsor um, for any of our animals. Uh, and, and that's hugely important for us because it really gives us that peace of mind of knowing that we'll have um, regular income coming in um, in the future. And then we can plan for like building more infrastructure, taking in more animals. Um, so that's extremely helpful. Um, and yeah, like following us on social media. So it's Farmhouse Garden Animal Home on Instagram and on Facebook. Um, sharing our posts, liking our pages, supporting us in any little way that they can. Um, on our website, we also have volunteer forms that people can can uh, fill out if they want to or if, if they're close enough to volunteer physically. But even um, for people who are far away or in, in Vancouver, um, we always need help with online or administrative tasks and that can be done remotely. Um, so there's plenty of ways to help us both in person or remotely. Um, and yeah, we're, we're so thankful for every little thing that people do to help us. Mm -hmm. I just thought of another thing that um, they do on the island here is um, the sanctuaries will uh, have an arrangement with the local feed shops. So uh, a person can go, if they happen to be in the feed shop, they can say, oh, and here's an extra 20 bucks or whatever towards the next purchase. Ooh. Yeah, that's another. Yeah. Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah, for sure. We'll definitely consider that. That's great. Yeah, because I know uh, it's an ongoing thing, you know, and I think we have a responsibility. We brought these creatures into the world. We have a responsibility to look after them, right? Yeah, that's how I see it. So um, do you do you want, I know you need to get back to work because it's busy on the farm. Do you, yeah. Is there anything else that you want to share before we go? No, just uh, I want to thank you for having me on and to everybody listening, um, you know, supporting your local sanctuaries is so important uh, not many people realize the amount of um work and, and blood and sweat and tears that go into helping these animals it's really emotionally uh taxing and physically and financially um so every every little bit counts and and we're so thankful for all of our supporters out there I thought of one more thing before we go, sorry, is that I, I know when the sanctuary set up here, um, they suddenly were inundated with calls of people with various creatures. Does that happen to you too? Yeah, yeah we, we get, we get, um, actually, we, it's, it's good that you brought this up because we're connected to a network called um, well, an Ontario network called the Association of Farm Sanctuaries Ontario. Our board member, Tim, actually set this up, and it's a great way for, uh, like, whenever we get an email or a call asking to rehome an animal that we can't take in, um, we have this network, and we're able to post on, on a Facebook group, um, and other sanctuaries can see how they can help. Um, and it, it's also a great network if, you're, uh, if you just have, like, questions about caring for animals, um, and for the public to kind of check in on us and see how we're doing. Um, so yeah, no, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, we do get a lot of calls, but we have quite a few sanctuaries here that are always willing to help. Good. Okay. It's nice to have that collaborative support for sure. Yeah. 
Thank you so much, Edith. It was really a pleasure to talk with you today. Yeah, this was great. Thanks for having me here. Right, for sure. All right, take care. My guest today was Edith Barabash and the Ontario Farmhouse Garden Animal Home. You can find more Plant Powered Radio by visiting us at Instagram and YouTube and by subscribing to this podcast. Please be safe and considerate towards all species. And thanks so much for listening.